Labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. The words of President George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and with me as always is my co-host, Ian Kahn, from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the challenges facing the Republic this week. We'll cover other news in our Hot Take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week discussion. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. But before we get to this week in challenges, Patrick, what does your polling tell us about the public reaction to last week's impeachment vote? Well, before I tell you what we had in our polling, I just want to point out one thing that happened this week. So we came out with a poll at Monmouth University on reaction to the impeachment vote. Uh, Quinnipiac also came out with a poll with reaction to the impeachment vote. The third impeachment of a president in the history of the country, the third acquittal in the history of the country, very historic, don't you think? And also very telling for the mood of the country as well as for the underpinnings of the strength of our republic, correct? Right? Yes. Didn't last week really mean that? So you know how much coverage uh, we got on our impeachment polls? Almost nothing. I mean, there, there were some reports out there. You know what everybody wanted to hear from? Well, what do you have in terms of who's ahead and who's behind in the Democratic race for president? That's what the media could only concentrate on that one thing. It's like impeachment was over. It was now we're into 24-hour news cycles so much that even impeachment itself is something that, okay, that's over and done with. And not something that, that we need to reflect on as something that really says where we are as a nation. So uh, that's just my editorial comment about the state of the media right now. Uh, is that you know just- what? In, in a way, though, there's that, that is the way of the world right now. And because there is a new, you know, it was just last week that President Trump was acquitted of impeachment. And since then, there's been so much news that has happened, that every day feels like the world is falling down, that it, it's hard. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving the media a pass. I get what you're saying, but I also see how we're in, in this sort of, this really tough world that we're in. Right. But this, why did you and I start this podcast? This is because not enough people were talking about the underlying faith in the system. Right, that the need to guard the republic as all these things were passing by, right? And at this stage in our history, don't you think it's the media's responsibility to take that take on that charge as well, at least to some extent, particularly when you have such a, something that's as historic as an impeachment itself, and to sit back and reflect on well, what does this mean for the future of the country? So. I understand what the normal business behavior of the media is, and certainly cable news is more about entertainment than it is about information and thinking about what the meaning is of the news. But I'm not giving I can't I'm not giving the media a pass on this. Hey, we got a lot of coverage on our polls this week because we also had those those numbers on the Democratic thing. So you know, as far as as you know, doing my job and, and getting Mammoth's name out there with our polling, that happened. What I'm really disappointed in is just how much they just blew off these numbers. And I'm going to talk about these numbers today uh, because it really does tell us a lot about where we are 
uh, in terms of the state of the country. So first off, the question we asked, do you approve or disapprove of the Senate's vote to acquit? And we got 49% approve, 48% disapprove. And that was pretty much where we were going in, just like the numbers were flipped. Yes. But it was, you know, it's basically a 50-50 split. Quinnipiac found exactly the same thing. So we, we went into this thing, came out of this thing at the same time. But there are bigger questions that we ask here. You know, certainly, you know, one question that you asked me last week was, we found that, you know, 80% said that they wanted witnesses, right? Yes. And there was a big question about what will happen if we don't have witnesses. Well, what we found is, uh, that nearly six in 10 Americans said that they really disapproved of the Senate not calling witnesses, going through this whole trial charade without those witnesses. And then we asked, well, what's the next step? And they said, a majority said the next step is close the impeachment inquiry. Yeah. Right? Just move on. And not just on the Ukraine thing, move on on everything. If you are looking at emoluments, if you're looking at anything else, just move on. It's time, you know. Let's focus on 2020, November, uh, the election uh, that, you know, this it, we, we've just been dragged through this. Uh, most feel that he did something wrong at the very least. Uh, only 22 percent of Americans said that Trump did nothing wrong. Although, of course, that includes a majority of Republicans uh, who said that the, he did nothing wrong. And, and only four percent were in the camp of Mitt Romney of saying not only did he do something wrong, but he did something impeachable. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the Republican Party, um, as we see, is standing lockstep with their esteemed leader, uh, their dear leader there. Uh, it's, you know, a, mainly a cult of of personality there. Rather it's just than, such a uh, negative personality. It's such a bad, he's such a bad guy. He's such a mean man. Yeah, you know, if if I guess that's sort of what authoritarian dictators turn into, uh, that that's, they typically are like that. Um, but you know, there was a, a tweet this morning, uh, not not even the Bloomberg tweet that I think we were going to get into in a few moments. But he just wrote, "Drain the swamp. We want bad people out of our government!" Exclamation mark. And it's like you're talking about, and I'm going to jump us if it's all right with you. I'm going to jump us to the next block, which is how the Republic is being challenged this week with Vinmond and Sondland being yeah. fired. Well, let me let me say something about draining the swamp because I actually okay. have some numbers. Oh, on very good. That. Yeah, there you go. That's why because... you're the number. That's wait. Let me say this. That's why you're the number one pollster in America, Patrick, because yeah. you got the answers to the questions that we want to know. Right. Go for it. So you know. We've been asking this question since Donald Trump took office. Has he drained the swamp? That's what he promised to do, right? So 33% say he's made promise draining the swamp. 34% say he's made the swamp worse. And 28% say nothing has really changed. And those wow. numbers have been fairly consistent across the board. It's like a third, a third, a third, almost, who say, yes, he has. He's made it worse. He hasn't done anything. So this whole draining the swamp thing is just, it's just ridiculous because... You know, his followers think, yeah, he's drained the swamp. And on the other side, there's folks who are saying he's making it worse. And as you said, this Vinman thing, this Sondland thing, this uh, these are part and parcel of it. So, yes, let's get into uh, how the Republic how is being possible. challenged this week. Um, so first we have Alexander Vinman and Gordon Sondland who have been fired. That happened, actually. We we did our last—this is—we're at Thursday at 9.45 a.m. We're doing it early on Thursday this morning, this week. Last week, we did it Friday at around noon, I think. And that Friday night is when the Friday night massacre occurred. What did you think of the firings? Uh, not overly surprising because, 
we knew it was going to be vindictive. So put it into perspective, um, Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman was going to be reassigned by the end of the month. Uh, he was going to be resigned outside the White House to another detail. But Donald Trump had to move that up because he wanted to show everybody that he was in charge, mm-hmm. right? That, that you know, he, 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 learned his, he learned his lesson from impeachment, the impeachment yes, vote, which was he can get away with anything and he's going right. to prove it right now. With <laughs> That's not, right. And not only, I mean, am I going to kick Vindman out? I'm going to kick his uh, twin bar- brother out of the White House as well. Sure. And and all of this goes right back to Ben Sass, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Ben Sass is responsible for this with his action or inaction. We can talk about all the other senators, but Ben Sass was the one who said that he was going to do something to change the way things are done in Washington. He was the future hope. He was the former president of a college. He was the rising conservative star who had a heart and who knew how to help lead the country. It was Ben Sass who said to President Trump, you do whatever you want. You let this republic float away into an authoritarian dictatorship. Also, let me just say, since our last podcast, President Trump re-upped his tweet with um, Trump in 2020, Trump 2024, 2028, 2032, all the way into nine, year 90,000, Trump lives. Well, that's Jean, That's that's what happens in North Korea. Yeah, is what he's he's saying. He's damn going the, to damn do. the Constitution. No, no, no. There's no there's no need for that. He's just such a mean guy. He's mean. That's what surprises me about. I mean. I could see how some people would be all into that. Like, hey, it's like WWE or, you know, like, you know, boxing or, or like deep fighting. There are some people who like are just drawn to this level of kind of mean toughness of I'm better mm-hmm. than you. But it surprises me that so many people in America that there aren't there isn't more kindness that that people haven't evolved to a place where they see that we should be kind to each other and not just punch people in the face. You know, I'd like to, there's that, that Mayor Bloomberg um, ad that came out this past week, which showed <laughs> the the greatness of, you know, ask not what your country can do for you. We have nothing to fear, but fear itself. And there's like, I can punch him in the face. We ought to, you know, all of this. And it's just sort of like, really? Do people see that and sort of go, boy, Donnie? Is that what the Judeo-Christian nation that was born here that with that, with those mm, values? Well, you know... I mean, we get into the to the values question, and this has always been uh, the issue with Donald Trump among among evangelicals. Right? Is is that uh, you know he's he's an imperfect vessel for them, and, and and it doesn't matter the the mean the ends justify the means. Uh, and of course, if we if we look into those Judeo Christian values and and the uh, scriptural uh, backings of them, is that you can find anything that you want out of there. So whether it's turn the other <laughs> cheek or an eye for an eye, everybody can find what they need in there to back up whatever position they are. I mean, you and I are on one side and then Donald Trump is clearly on another side uh, of, of that equation. Uh, but, you know, a question I, I want to ask, because let's let's say we'll give Donald Trump his, his due here and maybe he has a point. Because one of the things that he claimed here, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman is in the military. Donald Trump is the commander in chief. And Donald Trump... Claimed that Vindman is was some un, insubordinate. 
Yeah. What do you think? Okay. What do you think well, of here's thoughts? what here's here's what his former chief of staff, John Kelly, told the audience at the Mayo Performing Arts Center in New Jersey at Drew University, where I did a play many many years ago. He he was what this is what Kelly's version of whether he was insubordinate. He said he did a, that Von that Vinman did exactly what we teach them to do from cradle to grave. He went and told his boss what he just heard. He then went. <laughs> to the House of Representatives. So, and, and it means we, because remember, John Kelly is a, is a military guy. So yeah. he's talking about military protocol. See, and, you know, I'm going to talk about General Mattis right now. You know, General Mattis, who has been held in such high esteem, uh, who I have some connection to through someone who used to work with him. You know what? General Mattis is a, is, a, is a shame to this country at this point. Anyone who worked for President Trump and sees us losing our republic and is not willing to speak out about it, at this point, when we see the angle where we're going, shame on you. You don't have the right anymore. Who Who is your loyalty to? Is it to the president, Donald Trump, or is it to George Washington, James Madison, the people who sacrificed to win this country in 17, from 1776 through 1783? But you're saying, well, it wouldn't be appropriate. What's happening is not appropriate. It is inappropriate. It's why we're doing a show called Guardians of the Republic because the Republic needs guarding. And I, I'm not saying this to be funny. Ben Sass knows better. Ben Sass claimed to know better. And what does he do? Give him a pass. What did the president learn? They can get away with anything. He is a spoiled child is what he is who has now been given free reign. And we're seeing it with the Vindman Sondland, the Roger Stone sentencing, and Susan Collins is going to close the door on people when they ask her the question, did he learn something? Yeah. Yeah, he learned something from you, Susan. Yeah. Let's come back. I want to, I want to go through these Republicans in a second, but let's go through the different things that happened. So we talked about Vindman. Gordon Sondland, also, uh, the ambassador to the EU, also got recalled or fired. Um, and the Senate, and, and, and I apologize, I got a little hot there, yeah, but that's fine. I apologize to the, to the listeners. Sorry, sorry, folks. But, 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 <laughs> but what did they say for Sondland? The senators stood up and said, no, 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 don't fire Sondland. Tom Tillis, yeah. Cory Gardner. No, no, don't, don't fire him. He gives us money. Are you right. kidding me? Gave, Are he you gave Trump kidding a, me? He gave Trump's, uh, uh, inaugural camp, uh, fund a million dollars in order to get that gig. Uh, he got fired from, so I didn't pay off all that well. But Sondland did the right thing. Um, but of course, yeah, yeah, that's why. Why are the Republicans going after the Sondland firing more than they're going after the Vindman firing? Because they and want I, his money. Yep. That's it. They uh, want power. Not understanding that by by stealing power, you're stealing it from the people. And once you steal it from the people, it'll all be concentrated in one spot, and the man is unkind, to say the least. He doesn't think about us first. He thinks about himself first. Right. Am I wrong about that, Patrick? Well, Do no. You... I mean, we've talked about that all along. I mean, this is, you know, he's a classic narcissist. Uh, and as as such, doesn't really see the world through, cannot see the world through anybody else's eyes but his own. Um, and it just plays out in such a way. Not only can he, it's not even just, you know, a narcissist you usually think of, you can only see yourself and you don't care about other people. But in the position of president, the Constitution is another entity. It's another being in our system. And he's a narcissist in relation to the Constitution as well. That's what's the concerning thing. You know, everybody has some narcissistic tendencies. I mean, Bill Clinton, let's 
Take him for example. <laughs> Clearly, some narcissistic tendencies. And guess what? If you're going to be president of the United States, you better have some narcissistic tendencies. You better think you can do that job or else you're going to fail. The question is when you get into the, the play, into the area where you your narcissism is, is a clinical issue, as it were. I mean, I'm not a psych, psychiatrist, obviously, but, you know, what, what's going on with Donald Trump is something far beyond the pale of what's acceptable. And what's going to happen and, is And that- acceptable not only in terms of human interaction, but acceptable in terms of interaction with the Constitution, his inability to respect the Constitution, which we've known from day one. Uh, we've known it for many, many years before he was president, but obviously we're seeing it play out and we're seeing everybody else just step aside and say, well, that's okay. It's, it's just amazing. And, 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 and talk about constitutional issues, separation of powers and whatever. That's, this is the whole Roger Stone thing right now, all right? Yeah, so, so here's the, we've already, we have the executive branch, which is being poisoned, I would, I would argue, by the narcissism of the president, the, mean, the, the, the cruelty of the president. We then saw the legislative branch be completely abused by the Senate Republicans, sort of saying, no, it's good, you do what you need to do as long as you take care of us, right? And now we're seeing the judicial branch come under attack. Yeah. Now let's, so the, the Department of Justice, which is technically under the president, but there has been a precedent all along that the, the president itself, that the political end of the executive branch does not interfere in criminal investigations that are going on in the, uh, in the judicial, uh, from the Department of Justice, so the Attorney General and the FBI and so forth. And we've seen that blown out of the water so many times. So the, Roger Stone, the latest case. Roger Stone is a hatchet man for Donald Trump. Uh, he's been a hatchet man for a lot of things. In fact, I, I he first came to my attention as a kid, actually, here in, in New Jersey, where I live. Back in 1981, he got involved in the campaign of uh, Tom Kane, who was running for governor at the time. Some people might know Tom Kane nationally. He was chair, co-chair of the 9-11 Commission. Yes, he after was. 9/11, and he's considered uh, a incredibly respectful person. He has not had kind things to say about Donald Trump. Um, he's one of the, the old guard moderates in the like, cloth coat Eisenhower type moderates in the Republican Party, uh, the few that are left there. Uh, but in his 1981 campaign, there were some shenanigans there. And what they did was uh, the Republican Party hired, the state Republican Party hired some uh, uniformed folks, like they dressed in uniforms, like so that they were looked like they were official security or police or something, and stood in front of polling places in urban areas with signs in Spanish saying, if you are illegal or if you're not a citizen or all sorts of things, uh, you you cannot vote. It's against the law to vote uh, and you will be charged or something like that. So there was an intimidation campaign in urban areas. uh, And and Tom Kane ended up winning that race by only about 1,500 votes. So anyway, this is what I know about Roger Stone. So this is the kind of guy he is, right? So he did the same thing. He's He's a pig. He was uh, convicted of contempt of Congress. Guy deserves to to go to jail. And what happens is the prosecutors in the case from the Department of Justice recommend the standard sentences, sentencing guidelines for that crime that he was uh, convicted of. A lot of crimes, right. intimidating and, witnesses. And, and, and what they did, they didn't, they didn't go overboard. It was what they recommended was standard. And what happens? What happened was the president at 2.15 in the morning 
came out with a tweet that essentially said, this is unfair, this is terrible. And then he followed that up with a press conference yesterday where he was talking about drug addicts don't get seven to nine years, murderers don't. And it's like, really, drug addicts? Seven to nine years for being a drug addict? Yeah, I didn't know drug, being a drug addict was a crime. Yeah, so, but, but, but he came out at 2.15 in the morning, and that is why the Department of Justice made a direct response. It even got creepy, horrible, terrible human being Lindsey Graham to come out and say that it was inappropriate. Traitor to the nation, Lindsey Graham, lapdog to whoever has the most power, Lindsey Graham even came out and said that it was inappropriate. We'll see if... I wonder if he regretted that two minutes later. Oh, I'm sure that he did. But he said, well, he shouldn't have done that. It's the same thing that that terrible, horrible, traitorous Lindsey Graham did when he was asked on Axios whether if there was a quid pro quo, would that be a problem? And he said, well, yeah, it would It would be a problem. It sure would be a problem if they did that because traitorous Lindsey Graham is a traitor to his nation, cares only for himself as opposed to what happens to this country because that's where we are right now. That these people who used to hold themselves up as heroes in our nation, as people that we could respect, we may disagree with them, but we could respect them, have defiled themselves to support President Trump. And it happens daily, and it is defiling our nation. And it's very sad. Well, the Attorney General is one person that we have to look at in this. Um, there's been some issues with attorneys general over the years. Remember Bill Clinton getting on the plane with uh, Loretta Lynch. Which was stupid. Stupid. Stupid on both their parts. Um, Clinton should have known better from a political angle. Lynch should have known better from a legal angle. But that's been all blown out of the water with Bill Barr. Because obviously he was the one who had to execute this plan. Uh, And uh, he's going to be called in front of Congress now, in six Jerry, weeks. Yeah, Jerry in Nadler six. says he's going to appear on March 31st. That doesn't yeah. mean he's going to appear on March 3rd. I don't. I don't. Jerry know what Nadler. To I'm not sure this. if I talked about this. Just a side note on Jerry Nadler. Terrible job by Jerry Nadler at the end. Yep. I think we did discuss it. But what Jerry Nadler did in that spot was was selfish as well. You got to be smarter than that. Anyway, I'm. I'm. This is. I'm taking a hatchet to everybody right now. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I you know, I would. I'm Nadler, I, and you know, I've never been a fan of Adam Schiff and how he handled this because of that initial issue with how he how he he parodied the Understood. call. Understood. Understood. And I still feel that way about I how the whole understand. thing was handled. It was just overly political, and and we're paying the price for it right now. Hmm. But anyway. You know, <laughs> so anyway, so so we got so we got Ben Sass, we got Lindsey Graham. I, we got to talk about Susan Collins because this is the sure. most ridiculous thing. Last week we had an argument. We had a, I don't know whether it's a disagreement. We can't call it an argument because I think you know we're both basically on the same page. It's just what 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 word do we use to call Susan Collins? So you know, I was going with fool. You were going with duplicitous. Uh, but well, I got it. She's a duplicitous fool. Uh, there you go. How about that? I, I, I'm good I'm, with that. I 100. percent I'm with you. And because this is what happened, just just this. So after um, after what happened with the Roger Stone case and the interference in the prosecution there and the sentencing guidelines, so Manu Raju from CNN uh, corners her, you know, in outside her office and starts asking her because remember she's the one who said I think Donald Trump has learned a lesson, and so he says in light of the president's actions, do you think there are any lessons he learned from being impeached? 
And this is in reference to the sentencing guidelines. Yeah, because she said that on the CBS Evening right. News with Nora right. O'Donnell. And she says, I don't know what actions you're referring to. Okay. And then she goes on, I made very clear that I don't think anyone should be retaliated against and obviously revealing that she knows what actions he's talking about. Um, and she goes on and on and on. And then he says, do you think he learned any lessons? And then she goes on, since George Washington was inaugurated as her first president, we have never removed a duly elected president from office. Yada, 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 yada. And then he again says, well, you said the president learned his lessons. Do you think he learned any lessons? And she just closed the door on him. She is a piece of work. She is a piece of work. A du- she's duplicitous. She wants, she wants to win. That's all she wants. She she wants to be the senator from Maine for the rest of her life. She doesn't care about what happens to the country. Ben Sass doesn't care. Ben Sass wrote a book about how much he cared. Ben Sass, who used to be country. like all over Twitter at the yeah. beginning of the Trump administration about this this too shall I mean I'm not I'm putting words as well. <laughs> You're this Adam shall Schiff not, now, dude. This shall not pass. Um, yeah, I'm doing Adam Schiff, but you know, it, but, but his whole approach was you know we got to be true to our values and. Labor, the, I, I chose the, the the quote this week, and it was, I don't know if you could tell, directly related to Ben Sass. George Washington Maybe. said that about Ben Sass? No, but Ian no. Khan, who played George Washington and does it as George Washington, is saying this to Ben Sass. Labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. You wrote a book about it, Sass. Conscience. Where is your conscience? How do you look at yourself in the mirror? What do you see when you look there? It's like the picture of Dorian Gray with Sass. He's such an interesting figure to me because he's, he's my age. Mm-hmm. He, he's dedicated his life to making other people's lives better. I believe that. He has, he has really fundamental beliefs that he thinks would make the country better. He was a guy that I've looked at at different times. Look, I'm, I lean to the left, okay? I'm not all the way to, to Bernie, but I lean to the left, but I also can find Republicans that I have respect for. And I go, ooh, there's some good there. There's some value in what you're saying. I like you, John Kasich. I don't agree with everything you're saying, but I appreciate what you're saying about the country. I looked at Ben Sass and I went, that's my dude. As far as a Republican goes, that's my guy. You're out there speaking your truth. When push came to shove in the moment, when it was decided that you could speak out. I always thought Mitt Romney would be Batman and Ben Sass would be Robin. I don't know if I said this on the show, but I, that's how I always thought of it. That, that, that I, I believe that Mitt Romney, I've said it, I did say this on the show, I believe that Mitt Romney would stand up. I said, yes, and I said did. this to you, and I said this to you, that Mitt Romney can be the George Washington of his time if he would stand up again. And, and, I, I, said, believe, and I said, I'll believe it when I see it. And now and you I, believe it. Yeah, I saw it. But I also said, and I believe that Ben Sass is going to be the Alexander Hamilton. And you know what Ben Sass was? The Benedict Arnold, because he knows better. Sorry, folks. I, 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 I have, I have the fire in the fire that is is the alive in my breast right now. I, I save my ire in a different direction, and maybe it's because I didn't. I was never holding out hope for for anybody else. I came into this more of a cynic, certainly than than you did. Um, so I direct my fire at at Mitch McConnell. 
Mitch McConnell is doing exactly what he has planned to do all along. Remember, the story of Mitch McConnell when he came to the Senate was the Robert Bork hearings. And remember, the, the, the saying is you know, if, somebody, if a, somebody who's appearing in front of Congress at a hearing for a confirmation and just gets reamed is, is called, they got borked uh, because of the, what happened in that hearing and how his nomination to the Supreme Court got shot down. And Mitch McConnell, the story goes, just like that just got embedded in him. And that became his driving factor that he would uh, never see it done to a Republican again. But if he ever, every, anytime he got the chance, he would do it to a Democrat. And certainly he has performed that way in office as the majority leader since. But what I found interesting for him is remember, he's also got to get ele- reelected uh, this year yeah. in Kentucky. Now, Kentucky is a Republican state, but Mitch McConnell is one of the least popular senators in their home state of any Senate, of, of any of the 100 senators in Congress or he has been up until now. There was a New York Times article about him and they were talking to some women in a coffee shop in uh, somewhere in Kentucky. And after what happened with the impeachment hearing and the way he just pushed it through without witnesses and without anything else so that the president could claim that he was completely vindicated, one of them, a, a woman named Kathy Stocks, who's chairwoman of the Scott County Republican Party there in Kentucky said, and this is a quote, I think it was a plan designed only by God that Senator McConnell was put in the position that he is. This is the calculating Mitch McConnell. Yes, we have calculating senators. I get that. But when you have somebody who is complicit and has been complicit all along in throwing the Constitution under the bus by not working across the aisle when he should on uh, the stimulus package in 2009. Or how about the election security? How about election security that is is being blocked by this same Mitch McConnell right now Mm -hmm. to making it so that the election, um, the the election machines can be more easily broken into? Mitch McConnell is, again, as I always say this, Donald Trump is not the underlying disease. He's the staph infection you get that could still kill you, but it's, you get it because there is an underlying disease. Uh, Mitch Mitch McConnell is part of that underlying disease. Okay, um, let's move on just a little bit because we do have to get to the rest of our show, and we can get uh, we we can live in. Well, yeah, we've we, been talking a long time on this. Yeah, we can live in this. Yeah. We can live in this for days. Uh, th- let's just finish on this idea, uh, and we're going to get into the Democratic race. It, but hey, to follow what it is that you were frustrated about, we're not going right into New Hampshire. We're dealing still with the Republic and where the Republic is being challenged and talking about impeachment from last week. So, you know, at least we're doing it that way. Uh, but we will get into New Hampshire in a moment. And, and one of the things we're going to talk about is Mike Bloomberg and the president just an hour ago put out this tweet, which was then followed up by Mayor Bloomberg. So this is what the tweet said from the president. Mini Mike is a five foot four mass of dead energy who does not want to be on a debate stage with these professional politicians. No boxes, please. He hates crazy Bernie and will, with enough money, possibly stop him. Bernie's people will go nuts. That's what he wrote. And that was, when I read that, that's where I, that's what drew, that's what kind of got my fire going this morning, to say he's just not kind, he's mean. Mm-hmm. This was Mayor Bloomberg's response, which is also mean and maybe necessary. Uh, at Real Donald Trump. We know many of the same people in New York, and this is so high school too. It's just yes. bad high school. It's junior high school, man. That's funny. This is exactly what a friend of mine uh, tweeted back on this, which is uh, the combined age of these two guys is over 150 years old, and it's it's junior high. 
We know many of the same people in New York. Behind your back, they laugh at you and call you a carnival barking clown. They know you inherited a fortune and squandered it with stupid deals and incompetence. I have the record and the resources to defeat you, and I will. So there's two ways to look at this, right? I know some More. guys. <laughs> say like say again? I like that. Uh, we know the same people in New York almost sounds like, I know some guys. Nah, I don't think it's that at all. I think it's, you know, it's it's part of the nouveau re- Bloomberg, what didn't, what didn't grow up rich, but then became really rich. And then in New York society was sort of held in very high regard. Donald Trump, because he's a mean, classless human being, uh, very talented, classless human being, uh, was never accepted into that world of society. Um, but maybe this is what this is what we've devolved into, that that actually is what's going to be needed on the Democratic side. That's kind of my feeling is, you know, I, an argument that I have with a lot of these pundits who are still stuck in this old paradigm of, well, is he uh, too, too centrist, too liberal for this? And I say, you know, you know what Bernie loses by being too liberal from centrist vote, uh, you know, Mike Bloomberg would lose some liberals. In, in terms of November, it's not about that. It's about in this day and age, who can throw a punch back at Donald MMA. Trump? MMA, MMA. It's yeah. MMA fighting. It's Bare unfortunate. Fighting. It's unfortunate where it is. And I got to tell you, the two people that have shown me that they understand that that's the dynamic that we're in right now are Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg. Okay, let's move on with that. <laughs> to our hot take segment. And this right. week, because it's directly related to that, we're going to take a look at where the Democratic field stands after New Hampshire. We're going to give each candidate 90 seconds. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next one. So, Patrick, who is our first candidate? Well, let's start with the, the winner in New Hampshire, uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, what do you think of uh, his chances? I, I, think it's, I think because of the way the race is set up, where Amy Klobuchar and Pete, Mayor Pete and Mayor Bloomberg are, Biden is, seems to be out of the picture. They're, the three of them are going to split that vote. And it is set up for Bernie the same way it was set up for Trump. There's Bernie and everybody else. And depending on what happens with Elizabeth Warren, of course. But I think Bernie is in as strong a position as he can be in, except for the fact it's like chess. It's like, well, this piece moves. So now that moves everything and changes right. everything. In some ways, would it have been better to have Bernie fighting Biden? Because now he's about to go fight Bloomberg, and that's going to be a whole different ball of wax. What do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think we have to wait until after Nevada, but it doesn't look like uh, Elizabeth Warren can last much farther than that, which means that opens that whole lane up to Bernie to, to get that, yeah. that support. And if Buttigieg—we I, I, need, one, Buttigieg and or Klobuchar to really— shine in New Hampshire before we turn to to South Carolina to give us a sense of, you know, what will Bloomberg do? I don't know. But anyway, we're talking about all these things. Bernie. Bernie Sanders has right now the support of a quarter of Democratic voters. I just want mm-hmm. you to to listen to that. One out of four Democratic voters. That is what's determining who the front runner is. That's not we a lot. Ha- no, we haven't had that situation before. So this is still wide open. Okay, and now let's move on to Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who really had a overall strong, but ran into a little bit of trouble in that debate, but then came through with a solid second place. What do you think of Mayor Pete, Patrick? So what Pete Buttigieg's campaign has done, and this is why he performed well in Iowa, performed well in New Hampshire is identified their voters in each of those places that others were not going after. So 
Pete Buttigieg in Iowa is campaigning in all these caucus precincts out in the middle of nowhere, all, all these Republican rural areas. Mm-hmm. So what it meant is people who showed up in those caucus sites were with Pete because he was the only candidate that they saw out there. In New Hampshire, though, he was not going after college students. He was going after the rich people who lived in the neighborhoods around the college. And so when you when you looked at the returns coming back, he saw that. So I think that's that's a, a good strategy. Now the question is, can he, uh, you know, widen that when you get into a situation now where you're running a, a large media campaign and you have to uh, appeal to a much more diverse base? I don't know. Well, that's going to be a big question, but that's a big question for pretty much all of the Democratic candidates. The, how are you going to deal with the African American vote with your history with African Americans? I mean, part of the problem is that African Americans are have been held in have bad things have happened for them. They they have not been yeah. treated well. So anyone who's been part of that system where African Americans are not being treated well are going they're going to have to pay a price for that. Right. And Mayor yeah, Pete is is walking right into that. Yeah, there's not a lot of faith in the system. Um for the, Understandably yep. for African Americans, one has to say. Yep. All right. And uh next up, Amy Klobuchar. All right. So now I know Amy a little bit. Um I like Amy. I've always liked Amy. We've talked about Amy since the beginning of this show as someone who does fit as someone who could be a really tough fight for President Trump. In a way, she is, if she had the funding of Mayor Bloomberg, right, if she had all the funding in the world, in a way, I think she would be most successful against President Trump just because of where she's from and how yeah. she speaks. What she did in that debate You saw Friday her closing night, statement? It was fantastic. That was amazing. It was it was what sort of what drew me to her when I first saw her, and I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute! You could win. You could beat him because she is tough." The thing the thing about Mayor about about Senator Amy Klobuchar is the thing that hurt her was that she was a little bit mean. Well, you know, like she was mean to her staff. Compared to Donald Trump, she is the kindest of human beings, but she still has a little bit of that. Yeah, you need that and say, Yeah, you're a bit of a jerk, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I'm a bit of a jerk too. I'll show you what's what. So I'm I'm impressed. And she was clearly, yeah. she really hurt Mayor Pete. As you she said, hurt- we, we've been talking about Amy Klobuchar all along. Um, I've been saying this. You have to watch Amy Klobuchar. Her, the way she's positioned in this dynamic is... Uh, is the she's the one that could emerge and that certainly is what we've seen happening now whether it's enough at this point we don't know and in fact if joe biden had not been in this race i think amy klobuchar well now joe biden is not in this race yeah but i mean i'm I'm talking about you have to start i think if joe biden had never gotten to this race the press would have paid much more attention to amy klobuchar early on they're paying attention now okay but it might be a little too late might be but she'll be vice president of somebody uh let's move on to elizabeth warren Patrick, this is to me the biggest surprise, bigger than Buttigieg and Klobuchar, and the surprise really? being as how how far she dropped. I saw her in action in Iowa and New Hampshire. I saw how she was able to appeal one on one to both liberals and moderates, and how she was really able to connect on a very personal level in those retail politics situations. And of course, we saw her rise in the polls. She rose in the fall, but her problem was she overpromised. Because unlike Bernie Sanders, who promised big structural change, don't, don't worry about the details, she promised, not only do I have big structural change, but I can take care of the details, trust me. Mm-hmm. And so when she got pushed on the details, she fell apart. And yeah, the, I mean, and she the one thing she said in New Hampshire after the votes came out is she talked about one of her most famous moments where she persisted 
and yet she persisted, and how to her it's important to persist, you, you wonder what happens next for Elizabeth Warren. If if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, does he bring Elizabeth Warren on as his vice presidential uh, candidate? Seems a little crazy to do that, uh, but also can see how he might do that. Uh, although they would have to replace her in the Senate, it, 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 that can get a little bit messy as well. It's a shame. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, she she has been overshadowed now, and there's a new lead woman in the race, and that is Amy Klobuchar, who just keeps touting the fact that she's getting the endorsement from everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, but how, so, you know, we're now down to the fifth candidate wow. out of New Hampshire, who was considered the front runner all along, Joe Biden. Wow. You know, my friend Chad and his little joke... Do you think he can make it to the finish line? I'm not sure he can make it to the early bird special. Chad's right. Chad's right. He didn't make it to the early bird special. And his big thing was electability. And Iowa just said, you're not electable. You have to wonder how successful President Trump was. And maybe if that was a mistake by President Trump. Yeah, got to remember all along, Joe Biden's support was an inch deep. It was all based on electability, yeah. where all these other candidates might have had less support in the polls going into this. But their support was, I really like this person. Joe Biden had some people who really liked him, and that's the 8% who voted for him in New Hampshire. But the rest of them were, I'm looking for somebody who can beat Donald Trump. And yeah. by the time we just got to last this past week, they found other people who they thought could do it better. Because Hunter Biden and and Burisma and that, that whole experience— did not help. Also, and God bless Joe Biden for his service to the country and for all that he's done. Uh, he's going to keep fighting. He's going to see what happens in South Carolina. But the African-American vote I have seen, they're very pragmatic. They were supporting Biden partially, I think, because of Obama, but partially because they thought that he had the best chance to get rid of what they consider a real danger in the White House. Well, if he's not that guy, then where are they going to go next? We saw, I think it was your poll. Your poll came out. It was your poll the number one pollster in America, came out with a poll that said that first it was, um, first it was still Biden, right? No, it was Sanders now, then Biden, and then Bloomberg was coming up. And that made a lot of news. In, ter- in terms of their support among uh, voters of color. Yep. Yes, that's Bernie what Sanders. I meant. Yep, yep. Um, okay, now, okay. this. here we go. You ready? Yeah. Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg. Wow. Uh, I, I said. What a week. <laughs> yeah. Can he throw a punch? Yes. He, but he got hit this week, too, because and when Michael, that tape came out yeah. and he said, throw them up against the wall and mm-hmm. frisk them, ooh, that was ugly. Yeah. That was a, that was shameful. And was he tough. Was, it seems that his team was prepared for this. Yes. Uh, and they knew that this was coming. They, obviously, they knew that was out there. And that, that's the sign of a good team. You can't change the, the past, but are you ready to deal with it? So now the question is, uh, is he able to make amends? The initial yeah. indication is among some key leaders he has been able to do this. Uh, we won't know until we get to Super Tuesday whether that's the case because he's not on the ballot in Nevada and he's not on the ballot in South Carolina and nobody can write him in. So there, there won't be a test there. Uh, it won't be until we get down the line. But he's shown that he's willing to fight Donald he's gonna Trump fight on his for, He's fighting for the republic. And Nancy Pelosi showed her hand a little bit. Um, I don't have the exact quote, but she basically said, no, Michael Bloomberg is going to be a valued 
piece in our movement forward. It, was, it wasn't quite an endorsement, but it certainly was showing that Bloomberg was going to bring value to the table, and that's $64 billion. Now, it's horrible. It's horrible that a billionaire can just move his way in like this, right? It's not, but he's not just a billionaire. He also was, outside of the African-American situation, considered largely successful in New York as a mayor. Um, so, I, I, look, I think Mayor Bloomberg is going to be the story. How is he going to handle with Mayor Pete, everyone, their relationship with the African-American community? But that money matters. One more point, eh, which oh, is Bloomberg? this. Oh, okay, you're going over Last point, I'm going way over. Here's All the right. point. He's not great at taking criticism, and he's going to have to show vulnerability in that moment and accept it. If he acts like a tough guy, he's going to be in big trouble. He's got to take it. He's likely to be on the stage next week at the debate. He just needs one more poll at 10%, and I'm sure something's going to come out to give it to him. And he's on that stage because, remember, the DNC changed the rules. They got rid of the donor requirement. All right, well, we, let's right. do this in the overall. Because All right, we, so let's we, go. We, we, so, get, we so, get clipped for this. So our last, yeah, I know. People will say, hey, you're, you're, you're <laughs> you breaking the, way over. You're breaking the rules. Okay, go. so our last 90-second segment is what's the picture look like overall? What do you think? Okay, so first thing we want to say is that Andrew Yang dropped out. Uh, a tip of the hat to Andrew Yang, who brought a lot to the to I think to uh, to the race. I also think for Andrew Yang, he's got a real place. And if the Democrat wins, there's got to be a spot for Andrew Yang in this administration. New York City Mayor Andrew Yang, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd rather have him in the federal government. Frankly, yeah. let him let him try to help the the whole problem of of the country. But look, I, th- I really think it's Bloomberg. Biden, it seems, is out. Warren is hanging on by a thread. Hopefully she can stay. It's going to really come down to w- whether Pete, Amy, and Bloomberg all stay in, in which case if all three of them do stay in, Max Boot wrote a great op-ed about this in the Washington Post that came out two days ago or yesterday. It was then trending. Then Bernie's going to win. So yeah. there has to be some and, and here's what, And here's why he's going to win uh, with Warren out. He gets a third of the vote in these states coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the others get maybe fifteen percent or near fifteen percent, but remember, you got to get over fifteen percent in each congressional district and statewide to pick up delegates. So you can win thirty-three percent of the vote in these states and end up with two-thirds of the delegates. Yeah, it's going to make a it's going to make a really big difference. But you almost hope that after Super Tuesday, one of the Bloomberg won't drop out. But you almost hope that Mayor Pete or Amy just don't get over that line. So that they then say, you know what, I'm going to get out for the sake of the party for the country. Okay, let's move on now to our Guardian of the Week discussion. As we spoke earlier about Roger Stone and what happened with William uh, William Barr, Roy Cohn, William Barr, Roy Cohn, um, let's talk about the four lawyers because I think we both agree that they so, are our Guardians of yeah, the Week. So the four prosecutors who said this is not acceptable behavior, this is not acceptable interference in the processes of justice who were working on the Roger Stone case, decided to quit rather than proceed with this. So their names are Aaron Zielinski, Jonathan Kravis, Adam Jed, and Mike Mirando. Uh, they are our guardians of the week. They stood up. They One of them quit. I don't know. What, do you know which? Was it Zielinski who quit? I forget. I, I'm sorry. We don't know which of the four actually quit their job and have to go find another job. But that's what a guardian of the week is about. I mean, Mitt Romney was our guardian last week. Um, it's great that we do have guardians every week. People who are standing up and saying that this is wrong. Um, we need that. We need that now more than we have in 244 years. Um, and we're yep. there. All right. 
All right, so we tried to, we've been trying the past few weeks to end on a positive note with a final thought. Yes. I'm a little reticent to turn it over to you right now because I'm afraid it's going to be about Ben Sass. It's not about Ben Sass. Oh, okay, no. good. Okay, but good. But I will go, say go something ahead. about Ben Sass now. Ben Sass doesn't get my final thought. The final thought is really not part of our show. It's not going to be politically uh, active because we'll talk about that. We got plenty to talk about on the politics side. Here's my, here's my final thought. This is not an endorsement of Mayor Bloomberg. There's a lot. I like Mayor Pete. I like Amy Klobuchar. I, I mean, I like the Democrats. But All right, okay, come on. Get on to your final. Okay, here's my final thought. This whole thing about Michael Bloomberg and the dog, I mentioned this, right, about him shaking the dog's face. And a buddy of mine, Derek Van Riper, who I do another pod, a baseball podcast with, calls me up and says, Bloomberg's done because he doesn't know how to pet a freaking dog. Then we talked about it on the show, and you said, no, actually, that's how you pet that kind of a dog. Right. As soon as that happened, after that, and I was like, wow, really? That's how you do it? I went to my dog, who is a golden doodle, three parts poodle and one cart golden retriever. His name is Buddy. He's awesome. And we, you know, he loves my wife and the kids and me. He's always been like, yeah, what's up, dude? Well, anyway, I started shaking his snout. And he now, I he, he won't leave me alone. He sleeps on my head. I'm his new best friend in the whole entire world. So I want to <laughs> tell you, I'm serious. This this move of Bloomberg, again, not an endorsement, has changed my relationship with my dog. I would recommend that you try this with your dog because it it makes a difference. I mean, this dog, it just every time he sees me now, he just goes nuts. He just wants me to grab him by the Michael Bloomberg snout. Okay, so that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. And please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes on your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating and tell your friends and family if you like our show, even if I was getting so intense this week, so others can find us and listen. Also, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us, and we will be back with a episode next week. See ya, Ben Sass. Oh, come on. You can't do that. This is the worst. Thing.